welcome to the South American Football Show on the World Football Index. We've got a full house tonight to talk about another round of Copa Libertadores action. Joining me, first of all, as ever, is Simon Edwards um, in Colombia. How are you, Simon? Yeah, very well, very well. Uh, enjoyed some, actually, no, a little bit disappointed with Colombia this week, but we'll get into that. But I'm, I'm good. How are you? Yeah, all good here, thanks. I'm looking forward to my big move to the capital next week from Eureka. So, yeah, um, a lot going on at the moment, trying to organise that. But, yeah, looking forward to it. Also joining me, another regular here on, on the World Football Index, and that is Austin Miller. How are you doing, Austin? I'm doing quite well, Adam. I was in Mexico City last weekend for a little long weekend holiday. Quite enjoyed that. Got to go to the Estadio Azteca. Got to go to the Estadio Olimpico Universitario, see Pumas play, saw America play Cruz Azul. So that was a fun little weekend and then got back in time to watch some Copa Libertadores matches. So I'm, I'm doing quite well. Yeah, judging by your photos from your trip, the food and Football looked magnificent, so it did yeah. look quite an enjoyable trip. Yeah, definitely everything you would hope for out of a long weekend in Mexico City. Uh, plenty of food, plenty of football, and even a little lucha libre, which which uh, was an experience I'd, I'd certainly never had before, but one that I was very thankful I did have. Nice, you didn't get involved yourself, did you, in any of the action? No, 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 no fighting for me. I, I stuck to the stands. Okay, um, also joining us tonight is uh, Tom Robinson. How are you, Tom? Yeah, I'm good, thanks, Adam. Just uh, another late night for me watching Libertadores action. Not the not the best from an Argentinian point of view, but always a pleasure to be on the pod. Also joining us tonight is uh, Freddie Clayton. How are you, Freddie? Um, you're in the Barrio Boca in Buenos Aires at the moment, right? Yep, thanks for having me back, guys. It's been a while, and since I was on the podcast, I've sort of done a lap of the southern half of South America, going up through Patagonia, and now I'm back in uh, back in sort of the um, place with absolutely any internet at all. And uh, I am in La Boca, and I had my first experience of a sort of Boca Juniors match last night, and I've survived. So all good here. And yeah, that's where we're going to start the pod tonight. So. Last night, you attended Boca Juniors 1, Junior Neil. Um, Pavon with the winner, a scouting spotlight favourite here on the, uh, on the World Football Index. Um, so, you, I hear that you're among the famous Boca Barra, La, La Dossi, of all things. Yes. I'm going to come to you to tell us your experiences. If not about the match as such, given I suspect you didn't see too much of it, but at least, uh, at least tell us how the atmosphere was well yeah the experience kind of starts a little bit earlier than the match because you've got to get tickets and it's extremely difficult to get tickets for Boca Juniors matches these days because it's obviously turned into a bit of a tourist thing to do um kind of every and the hostels all sell them for about 100 pounds each so I ended up going through via gogo and picking my ticket up outside an ice cream shop in one of the dodgiest areas in Buenos Aires um, from a man who did not want it to be obvious what he was doing or what he was selling and then managed to make my way eventually into the ground about five minutes before kickoff where I was just complete obviously standing room only in the really in the crazy section the, the section you really want to see from afar and I was right in the middle of it underneath the sort of uh, the the yellow and blue drapery and the flags where no one ever sits down and it's just singing for two hours straight 
and it, it, no one really watches the game. I mean, they're sort of they're watching and they care and they're happy when they score, but when Bochum missed that penalty, it just it, it had no impact. There was no side. It was just it carried on, and it was really crazy and really quite special. My, I live with my girlfriend in Lavaca, and we're about 200 meters away from the stadium on the seventh floor and she was sleeping when it started and it she thought there was an earthquake because the the whole flat building started to shake and um realized eventually what that must be because it carried on for two hours um so it really is kind of the legends and the myths are all true and it is crazy you mentioned how difficult it was to get a ticket. Now, I went to I went to see Boca Juniors back in 2010. Um, they played Lanús uh, that night. Um, this was when uh, the legendary uh, Juan Ramon Riquelme was still playing for, for Boca. That's yeah. one of the main reasons um, I attended the match. The match was actually played in a torrential downpour, so the quality of football wasn't great. But, the experience of just getting, trying to get into the stadium was incredible. I, I'd met up randomly. I'd bumped into a fellow Norwich fan I know um, in the street, um, in the streets of Buenos Aires during the day. And uh, we both decided to head down to the stadium to watch a match in the evening. And we couldn't find a ticket, you know, for love nor money. Neither of us had much Spanish at that point, so it, it wasn't particularly easy. To, to to talk ourselves in to to getting a ticket um, in the end like we saw like a group hanging around and and I could hear talk of some tickets in in, in this group being discussed um, and then this guy in a Tevez Manchester United shirt suddenly appeared uh, bold he, colors yeah and and basically this was in the car park just outside the ground. And he said, you know, come, come, come follow me, guys. Come follow me. There was about 10 of us in a group at this point. So we're walking towards the stadium. None of us have a ticket in our hand or anything. And the guy just keeps sort of egging us on to come closer and closer to the stadium. At this point, you're getting more and more nervous. And then suddenly, some police appear. And he goes, come, come, quick. quick. And, um, and we hide behind this this van. Most of us are, are gringos. This, this guy had a little bit of English and he was explaining to us, oh, we've got to stay here and wait for this police van to go by. Nobody move. The police, police van went by <laughs> and then at that point he asked us all for a certain amount of money. I don't remember how much it was. It was probably about equivalent of about 20 quid, I, I suspect, but it's certainly cheaper than buying it at the hostels, as, as you pointed out earlier, Freddie. And um, so we we all gave him the money. And then it was literally, he said, right, run. And we all just sprinted in <laughs> to the stadium. Uh, there was like no security, no <laughs> no ticket barrier, nothing. And then, he, then as soon as we were in the stadium, what are you he said, yeah. <laughs> well, for him to guide us into this one spot yeah. that, uh, that is obviously you know, run by the barra, I guess. We weren't quite in with where you were. We were, we were more to the corner. Um, yeah. But, uh, but yeah, it was, a, it was a great experience anyway. I was quite high up in the, in, yeah. in the stadium and had a good view of the, 
of, of the pitch. But like I say, it was pretty waterlogged that night. I went home absolutely soaked. Um, uh, but yeah, it was, a, it was a fun experience. And yeah, just getting into a ground, that, <laughs> that mad run yeah. for it. But I think we'll never <laughs> leave Because the, the adrenaline was pumping. Because you're not sh- quite sure what you're running into either. <laughs> Yeah, it's the kind of game where I think anyone who gets there without going through the kind of hostile guided tours is going to end up with a story. Um, I was sort of just frantically running around the neighbourhood trying to find the entrance that because there's five different entrances and my ticket was only valid for one of them. I kept being redirected around the town, which I've been frequently told is a place for and have seen that it's a place for regular gunpoint muggings. So just the adrenaline there is obviously quite intense. And then eventually you get into the game and it's even crazier. I kind of managed to wangle my, my way into having a better view after kind of starting off in one of the corners, ended up walking. I was on my own, so I just walked into the centre of it all and managed to find my space next to sort of a more, you know, someone basically like a family thought, they're, well, they're not going to hurt me. Um, the game itself... Well, yeah, it was just 1-0. I thought, I mean, the hype is real for the stadium and the fans, but not so much the club, uh, the club's football, I guess, because, I mean, uh, I was hoping to see Tevez. Obviously, he's injured and Gago is injured. Um, Pavon, though, as we, uh, Robbo, you said on your uh, spotlight for the Copa Libertadores preview for World Football Index, he was he was a standout and he got the goal, which was a nice uh, sort of 23-yard uh, curler, which the fans weren't really sure because I was at the other end whether it had gone in or not. So there's kind of this moment, second worth of silence before obviously I was grabbed and thrown around by five massive dudes with Boca tattoos on their heads. And then it kind of all went from there. Uh, game just played out. It's a bit scrappy. Uh, there's a bit of hype around Chara and the junior team. He looked a bit lively, more lively than the rest of them. Um, but the game, it was not much of a game. Uh, the penalty in the second half, Avila was, he took it, completely skied it. And that was going right at me. I was had my phone out ready to film the reaction and obviously just um, complete damp squid of a penalty because nothing happened. And the fans just carried on as normal. And then after that, he looked very unconfident, didn't look like scoring. Pavon just looking dangerous. And then, there's a few shots. Uh, I thought Junior, a little bit unlucky. I think they had a sort of look to me like there was, I've seen the highlights since and it looked like they might have had a three-yard tap-in that kind of became a cross. I'm, I'm not entirely sure what happened there. Perhaps one of you watching could tell me. And I mean, the game, yep. Yeah. As I said, I was stuck behind a, a lady who was standing on the edge of what looked like might be her death waving the blue and yellow drapes of Boca to and left and right. So I was kind of having to move with the flag to see any of the game because our view was entirely obstructed. But again, as you probably know, don't really make the sort of the pilgrimage to the stadium to see the football necessarily. It's more to kind of be in amongst it all. But nice to see them win and obviously made it out and to live another day. Good performance from Pavon. Simon, what was the Colombian view on this? Yeah, well, it's, it's junior. And, um, you know, it's my constant frustration with a team full of extremely talented players and really no idea how to get the best out of them. 
and Ruiz, who continues to play up front. Um, for me, yeah, very frustrating. Um, I think, I mean, you mentioned Jimmy Chado and he was lively, but he wasn't really connecting as he can do. Uh, Teofalo came off very, very early, um, not really making things happen. I mean, Junior went for basically a 4-2-3-1, but with Teofalo and Chada as as two of the three behind the striker who come inside always. Uh, Hernandez was kind of the playmaker in front of the two in midfield. And again, he had a, one or two chances, but nothing really happening. It just didn't make any sense to me. I mean, you know, this junior side has a lot of pace, a lot of quality, um, but they had no width. And you just think going away to Boca Juniors, you, you know, you want to make the most of the chances you have, try and spread the play, try and, you know, make some chances, work some some opportunities. But having a Ruiz up front, who is terrible movement. I mean, he has a presence, he's strong, but his movement is poor. Um, never really offered much. And then having just a packed row of attacking midfielders and then two exposed defensive midfielders who did excellently well, given the you know position they play, Candijo and Pico in, in midfield for Junior did a good job, but they get so exposed. And, you know, I, I, I was more worried that it could have been, you know, a, a huge defeat given the way that Junior set up and that my team, <laughs> Envigado, beat them 3-0 about a week ago. Um, I thought if... If uh, De La Rosa is going to put them to the sword, then I think Pavon might have, you know, rack up a cricket score or something against this this junior side. But no, they were they would they worked hard. They were disciplined as much as they could. But you know, their five best players were all strikers, and they don't always play the best one. Um, yeah, I mean, Jalon Barrera didn't get a look in for me. He's a really interesting player. Can make things happen. Jonathan Alves came on late, had a few chances, and again he he missed them, and, and that could have been a really precious point for junior but he was his movement opened things up where Ruiz was far more static you know I just think that you have to get the most you can't just play Teofilo Gutierrez and Jimmy Chada behind the striker and and expect that to work because they're not going to find space and you're just packing if you play against junior you just need to have two or three defense midfielders who are disciplined and then you can counter as quickly as you want they're not going to track back it's going to cause problems. And yeah, it's just a real shame because this junior team has plenty of talent, but, uh, but they're not really showing things. Uh, what do you think, Tom? Yeah, I think you're, you're definitely onto something there about the sort of balance of each respective team. And I think midfield was really where the battle was won. Uh, Wilmar Barrios, uh, the Colombian for Boca had, had another good game and he, he just, he's so important to knitting that, that Boca side together and giving that discipline at the back there. And, Pablo Perez had a very good game, especially after he'd come in from some criticism um, in the league at the weekend. Um, and I, I really liked Emmanuel Reynoso's performance as well. He's a, a lovely kind of classic number 10 that's come from Tajeres. He's had sort of a quiet life to his career at Boca, but he's slowly coming into his own. I think this was sort of one of one of his best performances in a, in a Boca shirt. So those that midfield three for Boca really sort of tipped the balance in their favour and as we've come to expect from Boca, it's, it's not always pretty, but they get the job done. It's quite business-like and they don't really care about playing good football. It's, it's more about winning and especially in the Libertadores where they've got such a, a mystica of, uh, of doing well in the tournament. And yeah, they, they just look maybe not at their best, but a really solid unit. And you can see why they've been top of the Argentinian league for I think over 500 days now. So even without Tevez and or Cardona starting 
Um, they managed to get the the job done despite Juan Chope Avila's terrible penalty. Okay, now let's have a look at a, one of the games of the week which took place on Tuesday night, and that was in the Estadio Nacional in Santiago, where Universidad de Chile uh, drew 1-1 with Racing of uh, Argentina. Tom, I'll come to you first on this one before I give my Chilean perspective on it all. Um, but I think the first thing to say here was that it's a re- it was a really entertaining match, no? Definitely. I think when we saw the draw for for this group, we, we were anticipating some some really tasty matchups between the sides, and, and this one didn't disappoint at all. I thought both sides really went for it. There was a good energy and tempo about the game, um, and yeah, it's, it's it's a tricky one to say what you know who would be the happiest. I think they'd probably both be satisfied with the point. Um, even though you could argue that either side could have won it. Um, f- from a racing point of view, um, I think Martinez, a player that we absolutely love here on WFI, um, he he was lively. He, d- he wasn't quite as clinical as he usually is, and he had a few chances um, just miss. Um, Ricky Centurion had a, had a big miss one-on-one as well. Um, but yeah, the, the goal came from... Donati is a centre-back who's he scored quite a few this season. I think he's got three and nine in the league. Um, and he managed to curl uh, a free, a low free kick inside the, the post. It's quite a poor wall from from what I remember. And the keeper did get a hand to it. Um, I don't know whether you could say he, he should have kept it out. But um, um, yeah, it was a bit of a sloppy goal from Universidad de Chile uh, to concede. Um, and then Racing had a man sent off. Diego Gonzalez um, went off, and but yeah, they did they did well to remain competitive with ten men, um, and they had a chance hit the crossbar. So yeah, it's it's one of those ones where if you look at it, they especially going down to ten ten men, they could they could have see it slip away from them. But I think that I think they'll be happy enough with um, that that one one draw and four points after two games. Um, yeah, I, I was just quite impressed with Universidad de Chile. Really, I didn't quite expect them to be that good. Uh, what was what was your opinion on it, Adam? Yeah, I'm really delighted from what I've seen from Universidad de Chile so far this year in the Libertadores. They've certainly exceeded my expectations of them. Felt that they started this game with a great tempo again, which was great to see. And I think a draw against the group favourites, obviously, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a it's a pretty good. It's a pretty good result, but I do feel that they may well regret not pushing for a winner in this one with that 10-man advantage for sort of the last quarter of the game. But yeah, four points from their opening two matches isn't bad. Uh, But again, they do still have their two toughest assignments to come. Um, Cruzeiro away and Racing away. So, you know, to qualify, they're probably going to have to pick up maximum points at home to Cruzeiro and Vasco, which... Judging by that game, which we'll come on to later, you know, it's certainly doable for this uh, little side. Anyway, to the game, you know, I, I thought once again their shape with the uh, two playmakers was was pretty good, um, as it was against Vasco, um, Jefferson Celdoro and uh, Angelo Arreos, uh, both you know in that sort of double uh, playmaker role. Um, I th- I was really impressed um, with both of them this time. Um, and I felt that the Ven- little Venezuelan probably had his best game so far in the blue of Lou. 
Uh, but for me, I, I felt that Arias again was a standout for for the Chileans. Um, he he for me has been one of the nicest surprises so far in 2018 football wise for me. Um, he plays the game at this level so gracefully, um, and you know it's something that the Argentinian commentators, who I think we're seeing him for the first time, were also saying. You know, and he always seems to have time on the ball. Um, Racing must have watched that game against. Um, Vasco, but he's just one of those players who always seems to find space. Um, so yeah, uh, Angelo Arias, he's definitely one to watch, I think, um, going forward in this uh, Libertadores. Um, I, f- I felt it was a, it was kind of a sort of a tetchy game as well. Uh, there were like various flashpoints during the game and it did threaten to boil over at times. It took just six minutes for the first um, booking for each side. Uh, Ricardo Centurion for for Racing and Lorenzo Reyes um, for Lou. And I felt, you know, given the style of both those players is, is you know, is, is, is fairly aggressive, I think both players were pretty hampered by by that booking early on, in my opinion, which was a little C- bit of Centurion? An early booking? What? <laughs> Never. Shocking, yeah, you, Usually such a cool and calm, God, you know, yeah. customer. Well, so. um, Coulet actually took him off, didn't he? I, th- I think with about 20 minutes to go because he was worried that they might end up with nine men on the pitch. With, uh, yeah, definitely. Shocking, but, um, shocking, really, that such a decision was made with Ricky Centurion involved. Yeah. He and got he, a red card at the weekend as well, I oh, think, wow, um, yeah. and has recently um, got caught drink driving after a game as well. So, yeah, he's not having the, the best time of it of late. There was a interview on the pitch with him after the game and in that he seemed like he came across like really well I thought uh, made some interesting points on the game and yeah but during the interview it was also in my head uh, you know this idiot did drink drive just like two weeks ago <laughs> what's wrong the full cent- you got the full Centurion experience like like look he's a, he's a great player you, you can't leave that part of it out but yeah also it's, he's Ricky Centurion so Absolute box office, but an, an absolute idiot as well, basically. Um, yeah, capable of the sublime and the ridiculous in, in the space of 90 minutes. So, yeah, not not entirely surprising that he needed to maybe just been taken off to be cooled down. And, yeah, I think at that point, Coulet uh, just wanted to make sure that he could see the game out. But, yeah, I was impressed with uh, Arouse as well. And, uh, yeah, like you said, Soteldo probably one of the better performances in a Lau shirt for him. So, yeah, I think I think both sides will probably come away relatively happy. Um, and as you said, judging by the standard of Vasco and Cruzeiro, they, you know, they're, they're looking good at the moment. Yeah, I, th- I think what was, what was really promising was how Arreos and Celtel combined for that first goal Lou scored. Um, in the end, Celtel's shot was well saved by Musso in the racing goal, but... David Pizarro, you know, was on hand to slide, slide it home into the roof of the net, um, and yeah, I was I was slightly disappointed that maybe Lou didn't capitalise on that a little bit more, you know. But to give credit to the Argentines, you know, Racing did respond pretty well to that, and and like you said, you know, uh, Latoro Martinez, he he had a couple of efforts either side of um, either side of the equaliser, which. Really, you know, Herrera fumbled that free kick from Donati. So, yeah, I, I know he was kicking himself afterwards, I think. Um, and Herrera did mention in his post-match interview that he felt that Lou had possibly wasted um, 
yeah, a, a good chance for to make it uh, six points out of six. Um, I felt, yeah, it, and I do agree with him because Gonzalez, who was a key man for wrestling, that he's nicknamed the octopus, right? Poor Paul Gonzalez. Yeah, Pulpo, yeah. Yeah, um, and yeah, the fact that he went off and it, and you felt at that point, you know, it gave those two playmakers even more space, but yeah, they, they didn't really make the most of it, which was a shame. But yeah, as you mentioned, Tom, you know, either side's Either side could have won it. Um, and the only other thing to mention, of course, was that Lou probably should have had a penalty when uh, Musso completely wiped out um, Diaz with a few minutes ago. Um, but yeah, overall, a very decent display by Lou against one of the best sides in the competition, in my opinion. And um, and yeah, in the competition so far, two very d- professional displays overall. Not without errors, but generally very competent. Um, certainly a lot more than their cross-city rivals, Colo Colo, who will come on to later. Um, so overall, I think uh, Lou can be very happy with their start. Um, but there was a chance for it to be even better. Yeah, quickly, Adam, I, yeah. I just think, like you said, um, this was a good performance from Lou, and, and taking a point against a team as good as Racing is is impressive. But it does kind of feel like there there were two points that were left on the table, and in this group, which has you know three really talented teams, I think, and also a Vasco side that have at points shown themselves to be capable of a surprise or two, those two points, you know, come the last match day, could be something that that we end up thinking about with Lau, and and it does just take away a bit of the margin of error in those matches because I don't think there's an easy match in this group. You look at some of the other groups, and there are those easy matches, you know, a home match against the Venezuelan or a Peruvian side. In this group, I, I don't think that's there. I think anybody in this group can get three points on any given night, and to have a chance where you feel like you could have gotten the three points and to not it could be something that, that comes up costly later. Yeah, just one more thing to, to note. I don't know if you guys saw this. Um, it kind of went viral um, overnight here in Chile. It was it was um, just after the game. Uh, Mauricio Pena, the number nine for Lou, he, uh, he went to swap shirts with the racing goalkeeper, Musso, and um, it appeared in the footage because Pena took his shirt off went to hand it to Musa and it looked like Musa like refused the <laughs> refused the shirt um, <laughs> uh, and, and this kind of went um, like I say went viral here in Chile um, in the last couple of days but they've clarified the situation it was just that they wanted to do it in the in the changing rooms and it was actually Musa asked for Panilla's shirt first uh, it was just that he didn't want to do it on the pitch for some reason. Yeah, I think what he said was that um, like he didn't want to risk getting booked taking his shirt off oh, or something right, like that. Okay. So they they agreed to um, they agreed to change like or swap shirts later in the dressing room. So yeah, I saw that as well. And um, I think, but yeah, both the players acted very professionally. And you know, Pinia was on Twitter, sort of telling you know the media to to shut up and <laughs> that sort of thing that it was all good there was he, no problem posed, between them he posed in the uh Musso shirt in the end didn't Ugh, the story was much more fun the other way that's boring <laughs> i would have liked a little controversy here no i don't want your shirt i want somebody else's shirt ah, 
That's disappointing. I, I was I was surprised at the reaction at the end actually because because as I said, the game throughout seemed like pretty tetchy. It seemed like it was going to boil over at every point, and then sort of it, it seemed pretty amicable at, at the end. In the end, so yeah. Anyway, I think it's time to move on to our next match, and um, and I think I'll come to Austin actually, who's uh, beloved Palmeiras um, on Tuesday night managed to get. Another win in the 2018 Libertadores. Austin, take it away. Yeah, 2-0 for Palmeiras against an Alianza Lima team that are not a very good side. Um, they did hold Boca to a, a draw in their first match, which was certainly an impressive result for them and, and a result that could prove vital in this group. Uh, more so for Boca and Junior probably than for Alianza Lima. But this was a, a composed performance from Palmeiras, and, and this comes at a time when this match certainly had the possibility to, to be a bit of a slip-up point for Verdown. Uh, they're right in the middle of the two matches of the Paulistown final in Brazil, which is, of course, the Sao Paulo State League. Palmeiras are, are up against uh, Sao Paulo rivals Corinthians, uh, the biggest derby in the state. Some would say the biggest derby in Brazil. Uh, Palmeiras were 1-0 winners on Saturday away at the Arena Corinthians. The return leg comes on Sunday at the Allianz Parque. So this match was sandwiched in between those two absolutely massive matches for Palmeiras, who have not won the state league since 2008. Uh, which in a state league where pretty much only four teams, Sao Paulo, Santos, Palmeiras, and Corinthians ever really win it, that's a long time. And, and this is a, a trophy that Palmeiras definitely want. So for this match to go pretty much as easily as it did for Verdown, I think was a really positive sign for Hadra Machado's side. They came out of the gates, uh, guns blazing, on the attack. Ten minutes in, Thiago Martins had the opener for, for Verdown. They could have made it two or three after that. There were a lot of chances. Um, you probably would have liked to see Palmeiras put one or two of those away and just put this match on ice early. I actually thought Allianz Lima had had a little bit of, of a point in this match late in the first half where they were fairly dangerous. They asked a couple questions. Jailson, the Palmeiras goalkeeper, made a save or two. But then right out of halftime, Palmeiras came out again, and it was that man, Miguel Borja, who has, has been in, in great form, it must be said, in 2018 for Palmeiras. He seems to have really found his footing after an up-and-down 2017. Seven goals so far in the Palis down for Borja, another two in the Libertadores. You love to see those numbers from him. Uh, so he he got one right after halftime, 2-0. And then from there, Palmeiras were pretty much able to put it on cruise control. Could they have been more impressive in this match? Absolutely. Uh, for Alianza Lima, I thought the substitutions that they made about 10 minutes into the second half, bringing on Holberg and Quivedo, I thought actually made the team significantly better. Um, they were able to do a little bit more with the ball. They were able to have a little bit more of the ball. But they never really troubled Palmeiras late on. I think those changes allowed them to keep this match at 2-0. Palmeiras were perfectly content with having it there, uh, especially given what they have coming up at the weekend. You know, to be able to get through a match where you didn't have to exert 100% and still get the three points was positive. And this group, which, you know, is so difficult on paper with Boca Juniors, with Junior both in it, uh, Palmeiras have started very, very well. Uh, the showcase feature, I guess, of the group stage of Libertadores, the only match to get singled out on its own next Wednesday night, Boca Juniors come to Sao Paulo to face Palmeiras. You know, even just a point there or three points, it, and it, it's looking very positive for Palmeiras so far. So a, a good performance composed, maybe not as impressive as it as it could have or even should have been. But 
you'll always take an easy three points in the Copa Libertadores, and especially when that lets you have six points from six with no goals conceded. Very, very solid from one of the favorites in this competition. Yeah, I think Palmeiras have certainly looked more convincing than they did this time last year in the competition. No? Is it fair to say? Yeah, Yeah, for sure. And and I said this going into this match. This Alianza Lima team had the profile of the type of matches that Palmeiras really struggled with last year. Not just in Libertadores, but in the Brasile down as well. They didn't have what it took to unlock defenses that just sat back against them. Oftentimes, they you know, would, would pass the ball all around, pass the ball all around, and, and not be able to get inside the area and create dangerous chances. And the way that they came out in this match, Alianza Lima, right from kickoff, sat as deep as they possibly could to try to frustrate. And the goal came at 10 minutes, but even before that, Palmeiras had chances. They probably could have had two or three by that point. And that was just a really positive sign. I think some of that is the fact that Lucas Lima is the type of player that you want against those type of defenses. Uh, Dudu and Cano on both of the wings have certainly been dangerous. Uh, Moises was in defensive midfield in this game for Palmeiras. He's a bit more of a playmaker from that role, uh, rather than Thiago Santos, who's, who's a bit more of a destroyer alongside Felipe Melo, who's absolutely a destroyer of, of everything um, in the midfield. So yeah, they've certainly... They've struggled a lot less than they had at any point. You know, they were picking up points last year, uh, but they were doing so a lot of times from losing positions against teams that weren't necessarily that good. Um, so this has been certainly relief for Palmeiras. You know, it's it's never easy in this competition to, to pick up back-to-back wins, and they've done it in fairly easy fashion. So that's certainly a positive sign for them as this year goes on. Okay, so moving on to another match on Tuesday night, which saw Libertad record a 3-0 victory over Bolivian side, the strongest. Who who saw this one? Can't claim to have watched all of it, but I definitely saw some extended highlights. And yeah, it looked like a, a comfortable win for Libertad, really, who have looked very... Very solid so far in this Libertadores campaign with two wins, no goals conceded. And they're in a commanding position in that that group that I think we all know is probably one of the weaker groups and and they've really taken it by the scruff of the neck. Um, I think the strongest were quite unlucky with with two of the goals. Um, There were two really unlucky deflections which left the goalkeeper, Eva Caballero, with with absolutely no chance. And, And Wilson Leiva profited from both of them with with a couple of tap-ins. But the strongest really didn't help themselves. Um, the first goal, their defence was just so static and, and it kind of summed up the kind of lack of a, lack of intensity from uh, the Bolivians and allowed Ronaldo Baez, a young 20-year-old, to, to steal in and get a header. And then, yeah, then those two kind of deflected chances um, put the game to bed and and Libertad were, were, were quite comfortable. Um um, and one player that I really wanted to to sort of highlight, he, he didn't necessarily stand out or do anything spectacular in this game, but Libertad have this 17-year-old uh, called Ivan Franco, who's been handed the number 10 shirt, which, you know, for one of the bigger sides in the country and, you know, a, a big name on the continent is is quite something to, to be th- sort of thrown in and given that much responsibility. And he was really impressive. It could weigh heavy. Yeah, could could indeed, but he's 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 looked really good, um, and he was he was very good against uh, Tucumán the other the other week. Um, so he's definitely someone I'm going to be keeping an eye on, and uh, 
maybe a potential one for a, a future spotlight pod. So yeah, the Libertad looking good. The strongest are probably just going to hope to rely on that home form by the looks of it. Um, but yeah, so that's that's all I've got to say on that one, really. I saw Ten the point, highlights, ten. highlights on, for this one as well, and I thought that the strongest because I was following their home their sort of league form as well, and I feel that I know it's tempting to say like you're just finishing off there. Maybe they are relying just on their home home results in this competition because they're not doing too well in the Bolivian Premier either. Kind of, it's split into two tables this season, and they're third of theirs, and they don't even have Wilsterman or Bolivar, so it's kind of mixed league form domestically. And so you think maybe they're kind of thinking, well, it's not put too much energy into because I saw the highlights and it just looked like it was a little bit easy for Libertad to kind of just take those opportunities and strongest looking a little bit sloppy so maybe there's an element of well maybe not going to get much on these away trips so take it easy chaps yeah I, th- I think it was only probably last year that the strongest were a, gen- a genuinely sort of competitive outfit, both home and away in the Libertadores. Um, in previous years, it's always, always been about their home form whenever I've watched them. Um, and they seemed like very reliant on that. And but I think it was always going to be a difficult campaign this year, losing a player of uh, Chumacero's class, um, you know, can't really be replaced. Um, and they certainly miss his energy mm. and um, popping up with the odd goal here and there away from home. So, so yeah, um, yeah, I think they like definitely say, suffered for their successes a little bit there, being gutted a bit um, for all that for their best player. And yep, think new normal service probably resumed as you were saying, probably back to kind of relying on home form, trying to get nine points, see what happens. I think. Um, yeah, doesn't look great for them. Yeah, I think the game plan always for them is win, but doesn't look great. Yeah, that 10-point mark, you know, get all nine from yeah. home and then just see if you can steal something anywhere else. And this is a group where that's that's possible, you know, going to Peñarol and going to Atletico Tucumán, those don't scare you. Obviously, they're tough trips for a team like the strongest, but look, you know, those teams aren't going to completely blow you out, so... You know, get to 10 points somehow and see what you can do. It wasn't their night. An early red card in this match, I think, probably certainly hindered them as well. And then the three for Libertad. Come at, see what you can get in, in those other matches. Indeed. And the final game to discuss on Tuesday night was, uh, was I think, probably the worst game of the week. And that was... Uh, <laughs> that involved... Um, WFI Villains Nacional um, of Uruguay um, traveling away to Cusco in Peru to face Real uh, Gasteirazo. And surprise, surprise, it finished nil-nil. And Austin, you had the pleasure of watching this one. Tell us more. Yeah, the old adage is that there are good nil-nils and there are bad nil-nils. And I am here to confirm that this was a bad nil-nil. Uh, for 75 minutes, Nacional didn't look particularly concerned with scoring, and Garcilaso were completely incapable of breaking them down. So that led to Garcilaso having the ball in the Nacional half 
unable to do anything with it. The last 15 minutes, I, I did think this match opened up a little bit, and there were a couple of chances, and either of these teams could have taken the, the full three points. But overall, this was just a really bad display of football, to be completely honest with you. And it was baffling from Nassil now because there are some dangerous players on the counter for them. And I don't know if it was the altitude of Cusco that they were just scared to exert themselves and burn out late. I don't know what it was, but they just look completely complicit to play this out nil-nil. And when you look at the table in the group, I don't know that they're they're in a position where they can do that. They're now bottom of group six with two points. They've gotten two draws. They've scored one goal. They lost away to Santos pretty convincingly. Both of their points have come from nil-nil matches. And look, at some point, they're going to have to win a match if they want to get out of this group. And this felt like it was an opportunity to do that. And they just didn't really try which was obviously frustrating from a neutral's perspective, and I can imagine frustrating from a Nacional fan's perspective. Uh, the less time spent on this match, the better. It was nil-nil, and, and you're better off having not watched it. Freddie, I think the, the Peruvians, Gastelasso, they're surely going to be a little bit disappointed that they didn't make it six points from six, especially given how um, well they did against Santos, You know, the favourites to win this group, um, when they beat them 2 nil in the opening weekend um the opening week of libertadores action yep absolutely i think they'll be a little bit gutted not to have taken advantage of sort of the home stadium and not taking a win here but i would like to say that uh, although this may not be the most entertaining group i think the last time i was on this podcast i did say it was going to be the closest and so far it's looking pretty close uh, nacional obviously uh, not going to win any games uh, i actually never seen them play but i kind of just like through kind of osmosis hate them because you guys seem to hate them so much. So, I mean, I just don't want them to go anywhere, but, uh, Real Garcilaso, yep. Should be a little bit gutted because yep. Did get the win against Santos. Pretty impressive to be honest and have given themselves more of a chance to think already than a lot of people gave them before where when the group stage was kind of established. And so, uh, yeah, I think heading into the next round of three, uh, they should certainly, you know, they might, live to regret not having got the points there because that home game may be their easiest of their home games and they've not quite managed it so potentially regret that one um but looks close at the moment and i'm pleased about that freddie i do have a suggestion for you if you don't believe us on national now you can take a ferry <laughs> across to montevideo quite easily I, I could, from yeah. where you are and you can go and see for yourself and report back to us what about that actually you know what i might I, i've not scheduled my trip to uruguay yet and i'm gonna do it and so i could i'm just do a night there and if and if it all fits well i could actually try and catch nacional versus real garcilaso which will be a barnstorming nil yeah, nil that would be the worst two hours of your trip to montevideo i can tell you that right now <laughs> Surely it doesn't sell out. I can surely just rock up and get some tickets and don't need to pick them up at a dodgy ice cream store there. So yeah, it's it's a lot. I can tell you from experience, it's a lot easier to get tickets at Nacional than it is Boca. Um, I feel I like if, you, if you go a day before or something, um, it's quite a nice little stadium. Um, maybe like 20 odd thousand, yeah. maybe, maybe a bit more than that. But And there'll, there'll be a good atmosphere for the Libertadores. Um, and yeah. Uh, Montevideo is a great city to watch football in because there's so many clubs there and they're all relatively close. So I would 100% recommend getting across to Montevideo for, uh, for a day's football. 
I I haven't been, but you know, from from <laughs> listening to from listening to Jesse uh, yeah. on, on our pods um, in, in the past, I don't think there's many dodgy ice creams in in Montevideo. So, <laughs> um, well, I mean, that will take you away from that comment. It might offend some of our <laughs> Uruguayan listeners. Well, fair enough. I think um, uh, certainly certainly worth checking out and I do want to see what all the fuss is about and by fuss I obviously mean where all the hatred comes from and see Nassi and Al grind out a nil-nil um, when nothing but a win will do so that'll be a good one to see Luis Suarez supports Nacional doesn't he so what, what more evidence do you need <laughs> <laughs> oh brilliant yeah well I'll go along I'm sold so don't worry okay uh Let's move on to Wednesday night, or rest of Wednesday night, as as we started this pod with uh, with with that poker victory uh, over Junior um, earlier on that evening. Gremio, uh, the 2017 Libertadores champions, registered a four 0 win over Monegas of uh, of Venezuela. And Austin, I imagine you caught this one, so I'll, I'll, I'll come I'll come over to you and. Uh, and how are the 2018 version of Gremio looking compared to the 2017 one? Yeah, they're looking kind of like I expected them to look. Uh, beneficiaries of, of what is, in truth, a very easy group. They never got out of first gear in the first half of this match. Uh, Monagas sat back, defended deep, as they would have been expected to do. And Gremio weren't really functioning as well as they have been at points in their state league matches. Uh, pumped Brazil Gipolotas at the weekend in the first leg of the Gaúcho final. They knocked out their arch rivals Internacional in the Gaúcho as well in the quarterfinals. So they are rounding into form after a very slow start to the year, which I think can be expected given just how long their 2017 was. Uh, Artur has returned to the midfield seemingly healthy with that Barcelona deal now all in place. Luan continues to impress. The only striker on the squad scoring goals. Sorry, Austin. I, I couldn't help but see on Twitter that uh, Artur and Luan combined for a lovely goal, no, for, for Gremio in this one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They and, and in the second half, Gremio certainly started to click, and, and all of those pieces started flowing like they did at points in 2017. And it helped that they were playing on an August team that was, that was probably pretty far out of their depths uh, against a side with the talent of Gremio. Uh, Jail's the only striker left with Gremio, the only striker they have right now as, as they wait for some of their new signings to to get into playing shape. Uh, solid performance from them, 4-0. They, they put a couple more past them late, Luan and Cicero in the 87th and 90th minute. Easy does it for Gremio here. The three points at home after picking up a point away earlier to defense or sporting. They look certainly like they can come out of out of this group one, probably alongside Cerro Porteño, who, who have started well. And that's really all Gremio we're looking for, is just to get out of this group and then kind of round into form as the competition goes on. And that's what's happened so far. I do think they probably do need um, a proper centre forward um, to come in if, if they're going to go far in, in the, this tournament again. Um, but yeah, uh, that's, my, that's my only worry, but they, they will certainly... Keeping uh, Barocca in goal, uh, the goalkeeper of Monagas, very very busy last uh, last night. 
Yeah, and, and quickly on that, they did sign Andre from Sports. Uh, there was a big, long, drawn-out transfer saga there, and I think that's what's kind of delayed getting him in. He's not a great center forward, but but he's certainly better than Jael. And that was kind of the problem for Gremio last year, is Lucas Barrios really didn't play all that well for them, and, and they still were able to be as successful as they were. So you're exactly right, Tom. You give this Gremio side a, a competent number nine or, or even a high-quality number nine, and, and they can be just as good as they were last year because you know most of the pieces are still there. The whole defense is still intact. Our tour is still in the midfield. Luan is, is somehow still in South America on the wing. So, you know, the sky is still the limit for this side. Okay, moving on. Um, we can we can now have a look at um, the other game in Group Three this week. So, we've already discussed uh, Libertad's three 0 victory over the strongest. Ben Ural of uh, Uruguay also managed to score three goals. Um, Atletico Tucumán got one. And at the moment, it looks like it will it will probably be Libertad going through in first place in this group with Peñarol and the strongest batting out for second. There's a long way to go, but that's how the table looks at the moment. And Tucumán are really struggling, though, Tom. Yeah, they've been doing all right in the league, and they've come up with some big performances against some of the you know bigger Argentinian sides. But yeah, they they just seem to be a bit out of their depth and lacking that quality which which Peñarol had and and Peñarol were they were just kind of more clinical more intense um you know they they're obviously a bit of aggro as they always do but i think they just were able to use that experience they've got to to see them through they 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 got a, a penalty through i think it was Canobio um he was definitely looking for it but the defender completely bought it, and then um, it was the penalty was dispatched well by uh, Cebolla Rodriguez into the onion bag, um, and he had a very good game actually. He laid on the third later on, um, and then there was a deflected free kick from some way out. I think Estoyanov um, had a really long range free kick, and Augusto Batalla couldn't really adjust his feet and, and get back across. So that that was a bit of you know unluckiness to concede a penalty and have a deflected free kick go against Tucumán. Um, and took took around tried to get back into it. Uh, Kevin Dawson, the brilliantly named uh, Peñarol Uruguayan goalkeeper, made a really good save. Um, but then immediately afterwards, Aliendro was clumsily hacked down by someone swinging boots. And then my cult hero of the Libertadores, Pulga Rodriguez, stepped up and and uh, scored the penalty, uh, which I, I think is worth watching you know, for his lovely long run up, very long, very straight with a little skip at the end and sends the keeper the wrong way. So that, that was nice to see a little, a cameo from him at least. Um, but then, yeah, Peñarol put the game to bed. Um, Rodrigo Rocco just tapping in after Christian Palacios had, had sort of escaped and um, Batajia kind of rushed out and forced him wide, but he managed to square it for an easy tap in in front of uh, an empty net. So, yeah. It was it was a good atmosphere there, uh, Peñarol, and uh, a result that they should have should have been expecting. And yeah, they're kind of finally showing what they could do. And um, with with the strongest poor away form, I think Peñarol are more than capable of uh, making out this group with um, Libertad. Tucumán, I think this will be the end of their Libertadores uh, dreams. I can't see them getting out of the group, to be honest. But there are I mean, they're a big provincial club, but in the in the grand scheme of Argentinian football, they're you know they're not a big name. So, I think they're just 
hopefully just enjoying the ride at the moment. Yeah, last year was last year was the first yeah. time they'd qualified, no? So and suddenly, you know, they're in it two years in a row, but probably they're gonna have to wait a while before they're back in it again. But two games gone, is it in that group? So they they might still they might still come up with something. Let's not completely write them off. Uh Austin? Yeah, look, it was all downhill for Tucumán once their bus went speeding through the streets of Quito and they somehow came out of that tie last year. Like, how are you ever going to top that? Of course they're going to disappoint this year. Very true, very true. Um, let's uh, let's have a look at... <laughs> um, well, I, I had the misfortune of watching this nil-nil draw. Um, and it was between two Brazilian sides, uh, Cruzeiro and Vasco da Gama. Those two sides are in Group 5, along with Racing and Universidad de Chile. So a bit of a group of death, really. Um, and this game bored me to death. How about you, Austin? Yeah, disappointing, really, from these two sides. Um, Cruzeiro was my pick to win the Copa Libertadores. I'm sticking with it. We were talking pre-pod. There's a history in this competition of good teams starting slow and then picking up form as the competition goes on. All of the talent is still there. I love Giajascaeta in the midfield. Chago Nevis is a very talented attacking player. I like Rafael Sobis. Not sure why he's not been starting lately for them. I mean, come on, really? Sasa over him? No, stop. Uh, Fabio's a great old goalkeeper. Uh, good, solid midfield. But it just hasn't really been clicking for them so far in the Libertadores and really so far in their season. Um, they were pounded at the weekend by Atletico Madrid in the first leg of the uh, the State League final um, in Belo Horizonte. Atletico Madrid. That's Atletico Mineiro. They did not play Atletico Madrid. <laughs> I, was, wow. I was just about to Tough say, one. in what competition? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. Atletico Madrid are just hanging out in Belo Horizonte for a little bit. Uh, in the Mineiro, the State League, they lost to Atletico Mineiro uh, 3-1 at the weekend. This Vasco side, we've seen them be up and down and inconsistent at points in this competition. A disappointing debut. This, in a vacuum, is a good point for Zay Ricardo and his side. Um, but when you kind of do the math, away points probably aren't going to end up being enough. And you wouldn't really favor Vasco in any of their away trips. Um, so both of these teams, I think, have, have a bit of an uphill task to get out of this group. I would certainly peg Cruzeiro to be better at doing that. Um, I know you were pleased to see Duvir Giasco start up top again for Vasco, Adam. One brief note on this match. Uh, Paulinho, the very talented attacking player for Vasco, had a pretty scary elbow injury. And it looks like that's going to keep him out for an extended period of time, uh, uh, three or four weeks probably. That could have a huge impact on Vasco in this competition because their attack has not looked fluid without him. Um, I don't think there's a, there's a real natural replacement for him so that's certainly something to keep an eye on as they go i wouldn't count out cruzado but it's certainly been a slow start for them and as you said adam this match was was poor yeah that elbow injury didn't look, didn't look very humorous it's Boom. as funny on here as it is on uh, twitter no anyway uh, yeah, well, where's tom where's, where's tom <laughs> yeah stay out of my uh stay out of my territory of terrible puns <laughs> okay point taken <laughs> It's a packed pod tonight, so I think we'll move on to Thursday night, and we've barely heard from Simon. Are you still there? Yep, yep, I'm here, I'm here. <laughs> I'll actually come straight to you for River Plate nil, Santa Fe nil. What did you make of this one, Simon? 
Yeah, I mean, <laughs> for me, it was an interesting game. In as far as River Plate are much, much, much better at football than almost all of the Santa Fe players. Um, and of course, you know, that's the case across the competition. But when you look at the technical ability and the, just the basics uh, and you compare River Plate to Santa Fe, it's... It's, it's shocking. I mean, Santa Fe literally have to look at the ball as they dribble some of their players. Um, they, you know, they don't control the ball to open up the field, but they control the ball to try and stop it moving. Honestly, uh, so you know, we know we know what Santa Fe are all about. But when you watch this game and you watch against a team of the quality that River Plate have, you realise, wow, man, you, you've got to respect Santa Fe for being so consistently quite good despite being so consistently awful um but yeah i mean <laughs> you know they got a nil nil draw away against river plate in buenos aires what, what more can you say i mean one thing's to say is that anderson platter is head and shoulders probably chest and and waist above the rest of the santa fe attack um a really really good player um i'm confident he'll be moving on to a to a better level his acceleration is incredible. He's a bit of the, bit of the Iron Robbins about him over the first five yards, just, just burning, burning away. Um, really, really impressive. The other side, there's Bajoy, who's, who's really quite bad, um, quite quick, but just lacks technical ability. And he takes the corners now for Santa Fe, which, you know, it's a bit of a step down from Omar Perez. Uh, Morello is the, the striker. And then behind that, they have uh, three defensive midfielders and a solid defense. Um, I was just begging for a very soft red card or some something to give Santa Fe a bit more hope, but uh, they stuck at it. Very impressed by Perlasa in midfield and um, Lopez in defence. I think those two were very key for them. But yeah, you know, nil-nil, one point away against River Plate. Uh, River Plate obviously will be disappointed not to have got more. I think Quintero made a few things happen when he came on, but... Also had a few little sloppy touches here and there as well, coming off the bench. Um, so, yeah, impressive for Santa Fe. Um, you know, I, I do think it's a little disappointing they don't have any creative midfielders to to kind of unlock things and, and to release Plata because he basically has to do it all on his own, uh, Anderson Plata. But, you know, they, they have one plan, and that is to be solid and, and use their pace. And they do the best they can to, to do that. And Platter is is excellent at, on the break. Before this, this week's games, I said, you know, Santa Fe are probably the worst team, but they've also got the best chance of getting something. And it turned out to be the case, um, disappointingly so. But, uh, yeah, very impressive for Santa Fe. Shows what they're all about. And, uh, you know, a very good way away point in Argentina. Tom, looking at this River Plate side, in, in this match in particular, it certainly felt like they got significantly better with those changes that Gallardo made about an hour in, bringing on Quintero, bringing on Skoko. And it certainly, to me, looking at it from an outside perspective, felt like, especially Quintero was the type of player who should have probably started in this match. Like Simon said, you know what Santa Fe are about. They've been about that for forever now. So put in a player who can break down a, a back line. I thought River definitely created their best chances of the match once Quintero came on and once he kind of added that bit of creativity, that bit of class into the midfield. I understand that he, you know he has his issues as a player, that he's not particularly great defensively, that he's not even in shape at this point. But this felt like the type of match where he should have been out there for longer than he was. And if he was, River may have been able to get the full three points here. Yeah, 100%. The general consensus is that the last half hour that River played 
they looked a lot better and there's no coincidence that that was when uh, Quintero came on and it's it's weird he's he's not really been starting any games for River he's he's coming off the bench for the last 30 minutes and they always look better when he's when he's on the pitch so I don't know why Gajardo doesn't just start him see if he can do his damage in the first 45 minutes or hour um, I mean surely his fitness can't be that bad that he can't last at least one half um, and his quality is so high that you think you'd at least maybe get something um, out of him in that in that time anyway so yeah I, th- I think that's a, a fair criticism to level at Gajardo and yeah disappointing on River's behalf like uh, they've they've improved in for, form in, in the league um, lately um, but they didn't really build on that um, tonight and they had quite a few chances and Robinson Zabata, no uh, no relation to me, is, uh, he made some good saves um, to keep River at bay. Um, and yeah, River just, not it's not disastrous for them, but they're, they're still looking far from the finished article. Prato looks a yard off the pace. Um, he had a couple of chances. That deal that they signed him on, that was just absurd how much money they paid to bring in Lucas Prato. <laughs> it's 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 mad you expect you know immediate goals from that and he's he's really struggling to fit in um so yeah again skoko's he's been there a bit longer he's a bit more mobile i think he he improved the team um but one positive i would say for river was armani had a really solid game and, and he made a huge save midway through the second half which um was pretty pretty important in uh in keeping Santa Fe's one of their few chances out. So, um, yeah, at least one of their signings, you know, impressing, but, um, yeah, not, not the best game of football. And, and this group is still very tight. Yeah. I think, I think the teams which will be happiest with, uh, this result are Flamengo who are top on four points and Emelec who are bottom on one point as, as, uh, and it's certainly Emelec, who, you know, this result really keeps their hopes alive with River to come at home in two weeks' time in uh, Guayaquil. Right, OK, moving on. Um, the other game, on another game on Thursday night um, involving a Colombian side uh, was Bolivar 1, Atletico Nacional 0. Simon, this was... Pretty disappointing for the Colombians, especially as they had a golden opportunity to equalise right at the death. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think the Colombian team, you could really see that they had a clear game plan to, you know, as the game was played at altitude and, and it was really evident uh, on the on the the way the game on. Um, sorry. Uh, yeah, I think you can see the way the Colombians set up. They had a clear game plan to, to keep the ball moving. To You know, one of the key things at altitude is to not have players running 50 40 yards chasing through balls or trying to dribble around the opposition but to maintain possession let the ball do the work and to you know keep control I think control is so key in these games in altitude and I think the the defenders got the memo I think the midfielders the defense midfielders got the memo but I think playing these pacey attacking forwards you know has its positives but I think also that is at points where Nacional were kind of let down a little bit. I think they worked the ball very, very nicely. Camposano had another good game. Castellani in midfield, the Argentine, has been doing very well. They played Aldelia Ramirez as well, who's uh, 
you know, traditionally a more attacking player, but has really adapted well to a central midfield role. They had a really solid base. The midf- the defence looked pretty good as well. Heliberton uh, Palacios has been very good going forward. Struggled a little bit at times in the first half, but kind of grew into the game. So they had a good base, but I think the attacking three, uh, Jason uh, Lucami, uh, Renato Lenis and Gustavo Torres, didn't quite have the movement or the intelligence to kind of un- unlock the Bolivar defence. I think Nacional were hoping that as the game developed, and this is somewhat the case as well, that more chances would open up and having those pacey attackers would allow them to to stay solid and then hit on the break and and, you know, and take some op- uh, of these opportunities. But really, that all went out the window as soon as they conceded, and, and that was the real issue. A real nice finish by Marcos uh, Riquelme. Uh, the ball was played down the right wing, crossed into the box, nice cross, and he just swept it into the top of the net past Monetti in, in the Nacional goal. Really, really nice finish. And a very good performance by uh, Raquel May. Him and uh, William Ferreira, uh, the, the kind of the more attacking Bolivar players, Raquel May pressing high and, and chasing everything down. Ferreira yeah, uh, doing well. May, Raquel May was one of the standout players in Chile last year um, for Palestino. Um, and uh, and he, he was amongst the top scorers in the, in the league. Um so yeah, it's, it's, it was kind of no surprise that he he's doing well there in in Bolivia with Bolivar. Yeah, he was he has a real presence, and you know, given uh, you know the the altitude as well, the fact that he was chasing balls down in the corner in the seventy fifth, eightieth minute, very very impressive. Um, quite a big guy, but a guy who really put himself about up up front for Bolivar. And then Nacional in the the game developed, had more and more possession. I think they were really missing some of that creativity. You know, it's always a difficult balance when you go away to Bolivia. You want to have players who have the physical attributes to kind of take advantage of of, of the opportunities with pace and with, with athleticism. But also you need to be smart. And I think Nacional had the, the, the smart players in the base and the midfield. But further forward, they lacked a bit of creativity. And, and as often is the case with altitude, Sometimes the chances come from long-range efforts. And they had a few good ones. Renato Lenis had a really good shot, tipped over the bar. But I think they were missing a McNelly Torres or a Dairo Moreno to kind of give them a bit of nous. And they brought on uh, Vladimir Hernandez, who I hoped could be could provide that. And he had a few decent touches. But it looked as though it was going to be a disappointing 1-0 defeat for Nacional until the the last minute when I, I believe it was Lukami pounced on a a long kind of a wayward through ball, but he got there ahead of the defender, got a little clip on the ankle, went down and it was a penalty. And we were all kind of thinking, Oh my God, wow, Nacional have the chance. And then Lenny stepped up without looking particularly confident. Adam called it, said he's going to miss. And, uh, you know, there was kind of a broad agreement amongst us and, and he did. <laughs> it was a poor penalty and, and a very, very valuable kind of almost uh, decisive potentially point uh, away, which would have put Nacional clear at the top, has slipped through the fingers in the last minute. So again, some positives for Nacional. I think Nacional have a, a a team full of quality now. We can see Castigliani looking very good alongside Campusano in the base of the midfield. I just think they lacked a bit of that intelligence and that a bit of that maturity in, in attack. Lenis was very skillful, lots of tricks, beating the man over and over again, but they missed a bit of that that decisiveness with with Dano Moreno, who's an excellent finisher, and McNeely Torres, who's picked open so many defences over the past ten years in South America. 
So, again, I think lots of positives for Nacional. Last year, they were basically out of the competition. This year, they're looking good, top of the table, having gone to Bolivia. So, I think overall, both teams won't be particularly disappointed, although Nacional missed the opportunity to perhaps seal their progress in this group or, or at least be very close to it uh, with this potentially a point away in Bolivia. But, yeah, so far, so good for both teams, I think. So, that's now... Two penalties that the WFI crew has been pretty good call with Colombian players the past couple of weeks. No, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You you didn't fancy Borja as well in the Colombian friendly. Uh, you you were a huge fan, watching his every move closely, and you you spotted in his eyes that he. Oh yeah, yeah. He, was he never wasn't, he wasn't the man for the job. <laughs> yeah, Borja's not a penalty taker. <laughs> well, I mean, you need to tell him because he could end up costing Colombia if he if he grabs the ball at the World Cup. But hopefully. When it matters, Colombia will, will snatch it away from him. You've done well, but no. <laughs> if, he, if he's starting for Colombia in the World Cup, um, I'm not sure what the question is. So, yeah, I've got first. We move on to uh, Freddie um, to give us uh, his kind of Bolivian perspective on, on, that, on that huge victory for, for Bolivar, no? Absolutely thrilled, yeah. It's just nice to see because I'm not optimistic about the strongest and I've, I've got an approach to this tournament where I'd really like to see a little bit of every country left in the in the knockout stage. And I think Bolivar now the best chances. Unexpected win, but I mean, always think that and then they're at home and they just go and win anyway. So pretty pleased, yeah. <laughs> a heart-in-mouth moment at the end for me because I really was rooting for them and I just thought, well, here we go. It's fairy tale's not going to happen and it does look now and like you know probably going to maybe get through I'm not sure yet just this pretty tight group but Bolivar I, I do feel a bit more optimistic after that certainly and you're right in saying Raquel May is just excellent it's really 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 top performance from him tonight um, so obviously really good to see Callahan who's like oh, I've got a bit of a soft spot for him it's just always think he plays really well and um very happy to see him uh get the result but uh as i'm sure they got it simon because um nacional well i guess they've got their six points already but um for them how how gutted are they going to be that they got absolutely nothing from that because i really think really should have walked away with a point considering they had a penalty in the last minute so uh Lucky that yeah, they've got two wins already, really. Freddie, I almost feel like that moment is bigger for Bolivar than it really is probably going to end up being for Atletico Nacional. The fact that they leave with three points rather than one, especially at home, I think that's probably where this is going to be felt. Sure, Atletico Nacional would love to have another point, but the way that they've played so far in this group suggests to me that they're probably yeah. going to run through the rest of their matches with, pre- with pretty good success and can finish first. But those two points could end up making the difference for Bolivar down the stretch, and it might be Delphine and Colo Colo who regret the penalty miss from Linny's late. No, you're absolutely right, and I do think that they'll be sitting on the six points they already have and think, okay, well, we're going to... Bolivar going to come visit us next time, and we've got Delphine and Colo Colo again, who we've already beaten. So bit of a procession for the next half for them very likely to still finish the group top so you're right it doesn't really mean too much that penalty miss and perhaps you could see that a little bit not not devastating there was not much on the line for them but for Bolivar the celebrations on the miss yeah much greater and Delphin Colo Colo will yeah. certainly be gutted that it didn't yeah. go in 
when Bolivar goalkeeper looked like, you know, it, it, yeah. it was the final of the World Cup or something. <laughs> exactly. And it does mean a lot to them because, you know, that, that's three things that they need. With these Bolivian teams, they go into these tournaments just thinking, OK, well, we got, got, let's win some matches and let's probably win them at home. So when you get and this, the first win of the tournament, so it is, it is a boost because it's nice to see these Bolivian teams at least make an effort, at least come away with something. And even if they don't make it to the knockout stages, at least they got some wins on the board and at least they got some points. So happy to see that from Bolivar. And it's good to see that the strongest and Bolivar both got a win because I was really negative before the group stages thinking, you know, it's not going to happen. And both still very much in it, more so than the Peruvian sides because Alianza Lima don't think that much is going to happen there. Garcilaso could go either way. Looks like Bolivian teams for me are going to be the ones to sort of root for in the knockout stages, which is probably where it will end. Okay, well, another reason why that win was so huge for the Bolivians was the fact that Colo Colo, who were probably favourites to go through in this group along with uh, Atletico Nacional, lost surprisingly 2-0 at home to Delfin of Ecuador. Now, the Chilean press has already gone big on this. You know, I've, 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 seen, I've seen a couple of journalists say, you know, it's, it's possibly the most shameful result in Colo Colo's history, certainly in the Libertadores. That's how bad it has been received here. Um, and I have to say it was extremely disappointing, um, especially given first the level of Universidad de Chile's performances in the competition this year, and also the fact that at the weekend, Colo Colo beat Universidad Católica. Now, Universidad Católica this year, they started the season with, with six wins out of six, and they were flying. Um, but Colo Colo blew them away. Yeah, they, they, they beat them 1-0, but it could have been 3 or 4. And Colo Colo played that game at high tempo, passed the ball extremely well, attacked with purpose. All of this, we didn't see tonight. Um, against Delphine, it, 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 it was strange, they, they, they were too safe in possession, um, so many poor decisions in the final third, Valdivia has to take a lot of responsibility for that in my opinion, he quite often unnecessarily slowed attacks down and made a number of poor decisions um, and in, in kind of in that sense it wasn't too dissimilar to their defeat against um, Atletico Nacional, the game I attended um, just over a month back, um, you, you know, the away side scored early in the second half. Then they sit in knowing that Colo Colo are going to have to try and break them down. And Colo Colo don't, really don't seem to believe in themselves. Um, bizarrely, um, on the eve of the match, uh, Colo Colo's manager, Pablo Guardi, said that this wasn't like sort of a make or break match where for everybody else it clearly was it was a game they had to win really um, so yeah it's there just seems to be a real lack of ideas in this Colo Colo team for me which is surprising given some of the creative players they've got in the side you know you've got Jaime Valdez deep playmaker you've got um, Jorge Valdivia who's you know attacking playmaker then you've got Cesar Pinera Pinares on on the wing cutting in. He he's usually good for creating something. He was very good for Unión Española um, for the last few years. So it's yeah, it's kind of yeah. I'm I'm not sure why they were as bad as they were, um, especially given 
how good they were just a few days before this game. Um, but you know, many people do say it is a little bit of a trait of Pablo Guardi's side. So maybe maybe that's the answer. I know that San Lorenzo fans were very critical of that sort of aspect in Argentina as well. Um, you know, Colo Colo did hit the woodwork a couple of times in this game, but you know, for me, they didn't do enough where you could say you know they were unlucky in any way. Um, for me, they got what they deserved. It was an impressive sort of all-action display from two Delphin uh, forward players, Ares Mendy, who was everywhere for for Delphin, and um, and Godai, who got the man of the match, I think, from 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 Fox Sports. He held the ball up really well when when uh, Delphin did break, um, and and it was those two players who combined for the for the first goal that Delphin scored. Um, but yeah, it was you know Colo Colo seemed to struggle with the physicality of Delphin at times too, which was really surprising given that you know the fact that Delphin were physical and sort of defensive is is and, and sort of. Is the is is what you would expect from them, um, but they just didn't seem to have answers to these problems, um, which is which is a real worry. I think I think sometimes the lack of variety in styles in Chilean football has, has sort of become a problem. Um, I don't see many teams play like Delphin in the in the Chilean league. Um, possibly my team, San Marcos de Arriga, were a little bit like them a few years ago, and funny enough. We beat Colo Colo a couple of times playing playing the kind of football Delphin did tonight. But yeah, generally though, in Chile, all the teams sort of lack a bit of balance really. And I feel that that's why they end up struggling in continental competition where there's far too much emphasis on attacking play. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think that changed, you know, since Bielsa changed Chilean football forever. Um because before Bielsa, Chilean football was pretty defensive. After Bielsa, Chilean football's become very attacking. Um, and defensive football has sort of become this really dirty word. Um, I remember when Argentina beat Chile in the World Cup qualifiers in, in Buenos Aires uh, last year with an extremely defensive display. I don't know if people remember it, but Messi sort of scored a penalty fairly early on in the match and, and Argentina just defended for the rest of the match. Um, and despite losing, a lot of Chileans took great joy in just the fact that they had made play like what well, what we say here in Chile, ratones, which means like mice. Um, it, it was sort of a moral victory in that sense that they had made Argentina scared of them. Um, you know, certainly in the end, Argentina had the last laugh in in, in that battle. And but it's oh, I just. It feels like every year now I come on this pod and I have to speak about how disappointing Colo Colo have been in the Libertadores and I'm sure Austin and Simon who have been with me all that time are probably bored of me <laughs> saying it. And, um, and how many some embarrassing of nights for Chilean football have there been on this podcast? Oh God. Countless. Too, too, too many to mention. Too many to mention. But especially Colo Colo have been really disappointed. Yeah. Um, given the fact, you know, in the last 20 years, they've probably won around, I haven't counted it up yet, I keep meaning to do it, but I'd estimate they've probably won around 10 titles in that time. And they've, since 1997, when they reached the semi-finals of the competition, 
Um, I don't think they've got out the group stage, so that's sort of over 20 years of failure in, in this competition. And for the biggest club in Chile, you know, that's a disgrace, really. And, uh, and I feel that that must kind of weigh heavy on them. Um, you know, each year that record gets worse and worse. Maybe the pressure becomes worse and worse. Anyway, um, shall we move on Adam, to another match? Yeah, very, very quickly on this. I just want to credit Delphine's time-wasting tactics. I was very impressed. They were they may be new to the Copa Libertadores. I believe this was their first win in the competition ever. Uh, they knew what they were doing down the stretch of this match. Goalkeeper picked up a yellow card. Everybody who went off went off on a stretcher. Uh, checking every ball before they took a throw in just to make sure everything was fine there. Delaying over the free kicks, making sure they got the position exactly right on the free kicks. That was a well-drilled, time-wasting machine down the stretch from Delphine. Glad to see they were rewarded. Yeah, well, and minnows, really, I think, in Ecuador. Um, I think they were in the third division not so long ago. Um, so, yeah, it's, it, it's, it's been a remarkable rise um, for them. And this is probably, you know, the or certainly one of the most remarkable results in, in, in their history. So, yeah, it's a, a sad day for Chilean football, but, you know, a huge one for football in Manta, Ecuador, where I believe um, Javier is, 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 is from there, I think. So he'll be delighted tonight, uh, our, our sometime um, Ecuadorian football expert. Okay, let's move on to the final match we need to discuss this week, and that was Santos, who grabbed a very impressive 1-0 victory in, in uh, Argentina uh, against the Estudiantes. This game was played in Quilmes, I think I saw, rather than in Estudiantes' uh, home stadium. So, um, Austin, could you tell us more? Yeah, good result for Santos, who started out this Libertadores very poorly with that away loss to Real Garcilaso, came back to the Pac in Sao Paulo and, and, and beat Nacional fairly easily. And then this was a, a good result against the Estudiantes team that came out of the gates firing. Santos were pinned back for the first 10 to 15 minutes of this match. Vanderlei, their goalkeeper, made a really impressive save early on to keep this nil-nil. And then Santos did exactly what they had game plan to do. They hit out on the counter. Uh, Eduardo Sasha and Arthur Gomes were there. Sasha took a shot uh, after the counterattack that ended up hitting the post and bouncing back out the Gomes who finished from about two yards out. He just kind of bundled it in. Replay showed that he was actually offside. He was pretty heavily offside with the shot was taken and then off the post putting the rebound in. Studiantes appealed for offside. No call came. And then from there, Santos, I thought, defended really well. Estudiantes struggled to break them down, struggled to get the attack going. Another big save from Vanderlei late in this match helped them seal the 1-0. Two really, really impressive saves for him. I still think he could be Brazil's third goalie at the World Cup. Again, it really doesn't matter who your third goalkeeper is. But the Brazil squad is at such a position that that's one of the few debates that we can actually have at this point. Um, I, he's playing well enough. He's in form. He's making incredible saves. I thought he impressed again tonight. He's consistently impressed for Santos lately. He'd be my third goalkeeper in the World Cup squad for Brazil, for what it's worth. This is a good three points for Santos. Gives them, Puts them comfortably top of that tight group six on six points with Estudiantes and Garcilasa now on four. They've already gotten the trip to altitude out of the way. They get to go to Nacional still. They still get Garcilaso at home. 
I think Santos are looking pretty good to get out of this group. Tom, what did you make of Estudiantes here in this one? Yeah, it was a bit disappointing, really. Um, I mean, I don't have huge hopes um, for Estudiantes in this tournament. And um, as I've said pre-pod, I'm not convinced they've got enough goals in them. You know, Otero's quick and he's he's exciting, but he's not very reliable. Milano's diligent and hardworking, but again, not, not a clinical finisher. And then... People like Pavon and Luesio are just pretty old, to be honest, and a bit past it. So, yeah, I was I was impressed with Santos um, more than I was with the Estudiantes, who, I mean, the Estudiantes had, had the ball quite a bit. They had some chances, and obviously Vandalay, as you said, had a great game. You know, I think the, the goal, they're a bit unlucky. I think it could have been called offside. Um, so, yeah, they're probably ruining the fact they didn't come away with a draw because they did you know, probably, you know, maybe didn't deserve to lose. But um, at the same time, they just, yeah, were a bit toothless up front. And, and as Adam mentioned, I think um, I think the reason why they were playing in Kilomese Stadium was the fact there was like a Depeche Mode concert in, in their stadium. So the fact they don't have that home atmosphere, which is usually something they can rely on, is, you know, it might cost them in the long run because um, it's going to be a, a tricky group, this. Um, and... Yeah, the fact that they can't rely on that home atmosphere, well, certainly for this game, uh, might cost them. So, um, so one thing I wanted to ask you, Austin, actually, was um, are Santos probably a better team than they, that we thought they might be uh, before the tournament? I don't think so. No. No. Um, okay. I, I don't. I I still think this is the same old Santos who will have. Um, disappointing performances. Gabriel Barbosa was a big addition for them up top. He's a, he's a competent, composed goal scorer. I think Sasha and Arthur Gomes have played well in attack. Uh, the youngster Rodrigo has looked well. But that's still a midfield that I think when Santos come up against good teams is going to struggle. There's no playmaker there. They've been looking for a playmaker forever. Uh, they've looked at Lucas Arleon from Tigres in Mexico. They've been trying to make that move happen for months now. Um, Kyle and Hiki, they tried to bring him back on loan from Atletico Madrid. That time I actually meant to say Atletico Madrid as opposed to earlier in the pod. He ended up going to Paraná to play for Rogério Micali, uh, who managed Brazil at the Olympics. This is a Santos team that doesn't have a playmaker. They're still relying on Renato in the midfield. I don't really trust the defense, even though I like Vanderlei. I think they'll get out of this group pretty comfortably and, and you know, maybe they'll get a good draw. And, and as we've seen in Libertadores, that can end up being the difference in making a run to the semifinals. But when you look at some of the more talented teams and the teams that have been impressing so far in, in, in Racing, in Palmeiras, in Boca, even though they haven't looked great, you know, you still have the talent there. Uh, I just don't think Santos is quite at that level. Fair enough. <laughs> Uh, uh, okay, I think we're uh, I think we're finished this week's pod. There, um, let's just go round the virtual table and see what everybody is up to um, at the moment. Tom, I'll come to you first, as it's what five thirty in the morning there in in England. Um, have you got anything to plug? Um, yeah, I've got a few pieces that I've been busy with uh, lately. I should be having a piece on some of uh, Brazil's exciting sort of batch of 17 year olds that are bursting through i've already done one piece and this is the second part in that because they're absolute great generation coming through there um and yeah there's a few other pieces online um 
did a piece for Sky for World Football Index um, on Laudaro Martinez, which uh, is available for everyone to have a look at. So check that out as well. And you can follow me on Twitter at TomRobber89 before I forget. And you're off to the great footling mecca of Carra Road this weekend, no? I am indeed, yeah, to see if we can uh, carry on our, <laughs> well, fruitless bid for an automatic place for promotion. I think playoffs it is, but, you know, it'll be uh, it'll be fun to to visit, yeah, as you said, uh, one of the best football stadiums in the world. <laughs> At least you've got something to play for. Um, okay, uh, next I'll come to Freddie. Um have you got anything to plug for us? I don't at the moment. Just having spent the last six weeks in the absolute wilderness, uh, not not really been doing much writing. But I will plug people staying attentive because hopefully there will be soon and they can follow me at FrederickJC1. Hopefully have a few more things out. If they fancy trawling by, 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 down my timeline a bit, you find a bunch of stuff on... Um, William from recently and an investigative piece on the Bolivian lottery if that takes their fancy too sounds interesting might check that out um okay uh Simon uh yeah no recently I've been doing some bits and pieces uh been on some Australian radio I was on three Australian radio programs last week ahead of the Columbia game um so yeah a bit of bit of this bit of that also one day we're going to do a profile on, on my man, Jason Guzman, before everyone else realizes he's good. Although he has lost his place in the Envigado team uh, from time to time. They seem to be trying to win uh, as opposed to play nice football, but he's still popping up from time to time with a with a staff performance and definitely one to watch out for. So, yeah, bits and pieces. Going to do a bit more moving forward. And finally, Austin, what have you got for us? Yeah, at, on Twitter at Austin underscore James 906. Uh, the Brazilian Domestic League is going to kick off about 10 days from now. Um, so I am working on my big Brasileirão preview. Uh, I will once again pick the wrong team to win the Brasileirão. But I will probably once again correctly pick America to go down because it's an even-numbered year. And so they're back up so they can go back down. And then next year, I'll pick Avaí to go down after they come back up. Uh, but I put a lot of information in there. It's more than just me throwing darts to try to pick teams. There'll be a lot of player information, some names to watch, uh, let you know some of the big transfer moves from this offseason. So I'm working through that, so keep an eye out on that. Sunday's a big day in Brazil, the second legs of, of the state leagues, the weekend when the state leagues actually feel worthwhile because you get a lot of derbies at the same time. That, that's always fun. Palmeiras Corinthians obviously will be uh, where my eyes are. And then next week, we've got the big Palmeiras Boca Juniors showdown. On Wednesday night uh, in Sao Paulo, that's certainly one that I'm looking forward to, uh, especially from a Palmeiras perspective. Hopefully that will go positively. Okay, and you can find me at AdamBrandon84. Um, if you check out worldfootballindex.com, you can find my countdown to Russia 2018 there, where I'm doing 90 World Cup goals in 90 days, scored in the minute corresponding to the day in the countdown. Uh, getting plenty of... Nice reaction to that. Um, it's an enjoyable thing to do. And uh, yeah, so recording this pod today, we've got 70 days to go. So by the time this pod comes out, 69 and 68 will probably be up as well. There could be some more stuff coming your way uh, as well from me with Colo Colo Universidad de Chile playing their big Clasico here in Chile next week. And as I'm moving down to Santiago next week, I'll, I'll probably be attending that one. So I might have something 
um, on the site around that match as well. Um, so I think that's all from me and the guys for this week. Um, we'll probably be back next week. As there's, even though there's only one Liberty Stories match, there's plenty of other South American chat to catch to catch up with so we'll probably have we'll, we'll probably have maybe some questions answers from from you guys so send any questions um our way in the next week and we'll try and answer them on the next pod um so it's just left for me to say a huge thank you for everybody who's downloaded or streamed the podcast this week uh thanks again to the guys for coming on and goodbye <laughs>